Hey, welcome back, everybody. Man, happy new year to all you folks out there that listen to us each and every week. We appreciate that. We hope you had a great new year's. I know I certainly did. Lots and lots of fun. But now we got the cafe open back up. We're back in to talk some shop once again, talk about some music going around the area here. And uh, we're glad to join that you joined us once again. My name is Brian Dick, and I'm here with a man who can sing all lang syne in about what five different languages. <laughs> Some of them you can do at the same time, right, Ryan? Some you can't understand. Yeah, I got Ryan Copenhaver with me, man. How you feeling, brother? I am doing great, especially this evening. I know you're just grinning. I'm like smiling a- from ear to ear since. Uh- <laughs> Me too, man. We have great people. You know what? I can't do this to you. I'm going to let you take it away here because you okay. did all the legwork on this one. So I'm going to let you uh, let well, these folks know who's here. I, I'm more than honored and pleased to announce that we have Brad Divens on the show tonight. Uh, and I can't thank you enough again for being willing to join us. This no, is you're welcome. Such it's my pleasure, honor, dude. Such an honor. We are uh, we are pinching ourselves all evening, weren't we, Ryan? Uh, all month. Well, that's true too. Yeah, yeah but I mean, ever since last week, we were talking about it on the show and. It's just been exciting to you know, to have someone that's got as much background as you have, Brad, and the amount of people that you've affected with your gift is unbelievable, especially in this area because people grew up listening to you with Wrathchild and Kicks and and uh, Souls of Zero and all those great bands. So thank you so much for taking time. And as soon as we get through this menu, we're going to get to it. What do you think? Yes, sir. All Let's right, brother. I'm going to knock it out real quick. Everybody, get a pad and paper. We got to go out and support these folks that are out playing music. Uh, head over to the mountain to Tally Ho Theater in Leesburg. On Friday night, there's going to be a band, Get Poisoned. Guess who they're a, a tribute band to? I wonder if you can guess. Uh, but yeah, if you like Poison music, go out and check them out. And then on Saturday is U2-topia. Uh, they're regulars down there. They play quite a quite a bit um, at Tally Ho, and obviously they're a U2 tribute band and very, very good. Hollywood Casino's got two nights. Ryan, this is right in your neighborhood, brother, if you're not doing anything. On Friday and Saturday night is none other than Aaron Lewis. Wow. Okay. Yeah, man, from Stained. Um, so it's kind of cool. He's going to be there for two nights. I'm going to, I don't like, that's going to be a good show. Have you ever met him by any chance? Brad? I have. Have you? Yeah. Seems like a wonderful, yeah. Yeah, kind of a nice a thoughtful guy. guy, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's pretty cool. He's very talented. Is it a solo? Yeah. I, 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 doesn't show any, I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's a band, but it doesn't say that. I don't know. This says Aaron Lewis. So okay. I'm not sure how to take that, but, uh, yeah, his solo thing is like an acoustic thing. I think. Yeah. I don't know which one it is, Yep. but no awesome matter what, you're way. still going to yeah. get good music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great singer. Yeah, man. Uh, Bear Chase Brewery up on the mountain on Thursday night. Uh, tomorrow night is going to be doing time. On Friday is Chris Brown. Not that Chris Brown. But Chris Brown's going to be there. And then on Saturday, Shane Click is the early act. And then Clark Pecklow finishes out the evening. And on Sunday, they have Gary Smallwood. Man, I love Bear Chase, man. They've always got great music all weekend long. Box Office Brewery has, on Friday night, has the Con Birch Band. And on the 6th is Sozzled. You know, that's a fairly new band around here. It's a Russell and Dust band, man. They're pretty good. Getting yeah. good reviews. So we got to reach out to them and try to get them on the show. On cue and Troubadour Lounge and Park, unfortunately, I looked all week. And uh, I know it's kind of a weird week for the holiday, but they got the dreaded TBA bands. I didn't have anything announced out there. So uh, we'll have to keep, uh, keep in touch with them, folks. Just look on their websites or on Facebook. You can find out if they got anything going on. Piccadilly Public House right here in Winchester. On Friday night has Famous Last Words, good friends of the show. Uh, so we'll definitely go out and support them if you can. And then on Saturday is Barker and Schuster, um, another great act. And we've been uh, trying to work on getting them in the show too as well. But uh, but definitely good acts at Piccadilly this weekend. Bright Box Theater has a, a heavy metal weekend. This is kind of cool. Um, on Friday night they've got Cursor. Future to Claim, which is a friend of mine's band. Uh, Bobby McKinney's uh, son, Tyler, plays in that band. And then I'm not sure. If, I think it's Amanita. 
If I messed it up, folks, I'm sorry. They didn't give me any pronunciation on that, but that's what it looks like. I'll let you look at it, Ron, but I think it's Amanita. Um, and then on Saturday night, they have the Joey Harkum duo and Cavusi. And I haven't heard either one of those, but I'm sure if they're at Brightbox, they're going to be a good, you know, a good band for sure. Backseat Bar and Grill, uh, probably a friend of yours, Brad, I would imagine, uh, is going to be there on the 13th. It's uh, Solo, which is Dean Kramer. Mm-hmm. And Dean, yep. yeah, Dean's going to have his band there on the 13th. And then Kramer and Ivy, his duo act, is going to be the opening act that night, too. So that should be a really good show. Um, Backseat's got a lot of great stuff coming up. They've got the, they've got the, um, the Iron Maidens coming, mm. the, the girls' tribute band for Iron Maiden. Wow. And uh, that's coming up in February. I'm, I'm kind of psyched for that one. Uh, I'm going to try to check it out. Uh, Paladin in Stephen City has Justin B., and then on Saturday night, they have Daryl Marini, a friend of the show. Excellent uh, act out there. P2 on Friday night has Dylan Wolfel, another great friend of the show. He and I like to drink Bush Lights together. And uh, so definitely go check out Dylan. On see, on Friday night at Blue Fox Bar and Grill, again, they have the heavier bands. That's Secondhand Harlot, The Cretans, and All Hail on Friday night. And then on Saturday, they have Disfigure and uh, Anxiety. I can't say this right. Anxiety. Anxiety? I'm not sure, guys. I probably missed it up. Sorry. And Chris Demon. I'll let you look at the spelling on that. It was tough. I'm telling you. Uh, so Blue Fox, man, they've got a great act this weekend. Make sure you get out and check them out, too. Pauly Coconuts reached out to me from Mission Road. Got to get down there. Uh, their schedule real quick. They have a uh, an engagement at Mountaineer Barbecue on Saturday in the afternoon from 12 to 3, I believe it is. And then they're at Alfredo's the following Saturday uh, on the 13th. And then on the 20th, they head down to... Hopkins, South Carolina, and they're playing at O'Kelly's Bar and Grill down there. So kind of keep in touch with Mission Road, man. They're busy and out supporting that new album they just put out, so that's pretty cool. Um, so that's all I got, Ryan. You got anything I'm, you're thinking of I missed? I don't. I, uh, I'm i finding it hard to concentrate. I know. <laughs> I know what you got. I, I do have that trivia question, though. We got to get to that. We always do the trivia questions. Yes. So I'm going to knock that out there real quick. I'm, Brad's probably going to knock this out of the park, so if he does it, oh well. But we always talk about real names of artists out there, right? So everybody knows Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. He plays with a million different bands, and he's an actor and all kinds of stuff. But what's his real name? Ooh. Yeah. Do mm. you know that one, Brad? I do not. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you would know that or not. So, uh, yeah, Mr. that's kind of cool. It's pretty interesting because I don't, you know, I don't think I've ever even had uh, a place to read his real name or anybody ever said it to me. Yeah, so I had to look it up. But anyway, name. I've got it. So we'll get back to it at the, okay. end, of the, at the end of the show. But, uh, but that's the nice trivia question. So we knocked that out of there. Mr. Divins, Brad Divins, thank you again so much, man, for being here. I don't, don't even know where to start, but I'm going to start the first question, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I've been sort of recommitting to finding out what's been going on with you. And, and you know, and I see you're, you know, you're online doing some stuff with Jimmy Chalfont. You're doing um, fixing to get mixing. Uh, yep. A lot of front of house sound. You're still playing. You're 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 being um, all the things I think you probably wanted to be when you were a young man. How does it feel to be Brad Divins right now? Are you having a good time? <laughs> yeah, I, I am having a good time. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I n- I never thought when I started playing music at a young age that my career would go from just playing bars to being what it is now. Right. You know, mixing the bands that I've mixed and and still doing it. I mean, I never thought I'd get past fifty. If you've seen that West 57th show, that's the one right there. If I get to be 50, you know, so I never, I never looked forward. I just kept moving. And when I had to make a decision about, oh, do you want to do this? Oh, yeah, let's try this for a while. And I just kept going. 
forward right. and saying yes to everything. And it kind of just led me in different directions. And that's how I started mixing live music. And wow. then the pandemic hit, and then I got back into playing. Is that what happened? Okay. Yeah, because I was at home, you know, for what, year and a half. And every day I was like, what am I going to do today? It's like, I'm not going to go mix a show. And my right. wife's like, you know, you got friends around here that play music, and you have a studio in the house. Why don't you call somebody? <laughs> Great and idea. She's like, why don't you call Jimmy? Yeah. Have him ask him if he wants to play a song. And she actually named the song. She's like, why don't you guys record Walking the Dog? I'm like, oh, that could be cool. That's outstanding, yeah. So I called Jimmy, and he said, hell yeah, I'd like to come over. And that's how it all started. Wow. And then before you know it, other friends of mine were coming, the band The Arrival. Yeah. Frank uh, Frank and Reed Ulrey, Danny O'Brien, like local guys that used to be in bands around here sure. back in the day when you know when I was in Rathchild and even before Kicks, Rat Zalad. Right. band with yeah, Jeff Key. I remember that, right. And so those guys came over. We did a record in my in my house. You know, I did songs with Jimmy. I did a couple songs by myself. And then we ended up doing Steve's record in my house. Wow. You know, Steve Whiteman's record. Yeah. So it all kind of turned into, wow, I think I'm going to end up playing again and recording and, you know, building a studio in my house. And that's kind of where that went. It felt exciting, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, and, in the middle of the pandemic, right? Right in the yeah. middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, Enrique kicks back up. We start doing shows again. And then I... Got a call from Disturbed to come out and do shows with them. Nice. And I'm like, and I and I honestly, when the pandemic hit, and then I had quadruple bypass surgery during that time as well. Oh, wow. And I kind of thought for a minute, hmm, maybe it's going to slow down a little. And, and then I'm like, you know what? No, it's not going to slow down because I'm not done. Right. I'm just going to keep moving and keep going. And so, you know, now I've got a couple different clients that I mix live and studio stuff and playing again so it's all really exciting yes and busy. i mean i thought the older <laughs> i got the less i would do but it's actually the opposite right i feel like i'm doing more now than i have in a long time uh, how and i love it how exciting is it to be playing again i mean it's got to be a great feeling right especially with friends of yours you just oh yeah kicking some some wow. tunes around and yep. recording stuff it's a I really mean, good feeling and i mean when i when souls at zero broke up my last kind of ditch effort was to go to LA and I joined the band back out of Gators right. with Shannon Larkin and Mike Combs. And when that all ended, I'm like, man, what am I going to do now? You know, and I just thought maybe that was, that was the end of my playing. Understood. Right. And so I never thought about it again. And I just started mixing and tour managing. And I just went in a different direction because I had to pay the rent. And then to come all the way back around all this time later and start playing again, I'm like, why did I stop playing? You know, I mean, and I know why I did because the business had frustrated me so bad that I lost sight of the fact that I enjoyed playing music. Right. And at some point it became, you know, trying to write music, record and sell records so that we could keep touring. Right. And it, I kind of lost sight of, I started doing this for the fun of it. It didn't matter if I made any money or not. Mm -hmm. And to get back to it now, when it doesn't matter, right. I'm just playing for the fun of it. It's a great feeling. Yeah. And I love awesome. it. I've got so many questions. I mean, I want to come back to the part where you said about getting into the sound, front of house stuff, because from things that I've read about you, that was a bit of a leap of faith, too, at that, at that oh, point Oh, yeah, that was life. a total, like... <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I, I want to come yeah. back to that. I don't want to forget about that. But I do want to rewind back into the <clears throat> beginning, to the Rat Salad days. And and 
you know, it's so different now than it was then, Brad. I'm sure you have lots of people that tell you that. I mean, you guys um, were on West 57th, and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it was a it was a 60 minute style show that was that was featured on CBS, if I believe. Yeah, and it was it was done. Uh, Right around 1983, five, somewhere in there. I think it was filmed 85 or 86. Okay, right around mid-80s. I'm going to say 85. Right, okay. Um, And I remember when it came out. I mean, I remember I didn't have the chance to watch it, but someone that I knew recorded it, um, and we watched it on their VCR, and and it was was really a moving moment for me because it was folks that I recognized. You know, I didn't really know you, but I'd seen you, and I'd yeah. seen you play, and and mm-hmm. and so, folks, it's on YouTube, and you can go find it, and it's really cool. But the thing I think, Brad, that that really works for me with the whole thing is you guys carried yourself so well on that program because you were very serious about what you were doing, um, and you had mentioned that you didn't really you weren't in it for the money, you were in it for the music and for doing it for your fans. And then I do remember the moment where you're talking about when you get to be 50, uh-huh. you know, you want to look That's back a, and make sure you yeah. did something that you enjoyed. Right. Exactly. And, and because you, you only a, have one chance in this meat suit. Right. As right. my wife always tells me. <laughs> but my question boils down to this is, you know, you guys, I don't think people understand at that time how hard you had to work. I think I have a clue. Now I didn't do it like you did, so I'm not going to claim that I know, but I do have a clue. You guys, you didn't have an internet to put your music out on at that time. No. You had to go grind and travel the roads and play anywhere they let you play. And tell me a little bit about that, being a young musician. Well, you, like, uh, let's see, five nights a week, you could play in a venue around here. Had to play all cover songs. Really? And it was usually three sets a night. So it's, and that was usually, I want to say it was three one-hour sets a night wow. that you would play five nights in a row. And we would do this week after week after yeah. week. And on the downtime, we'd be, you know, we'd be uh, rehearsing and writing original music because the goal was to get signed. It wasn't to play covers for the rest of our sure. lives. Sure. But at the same time, the clubs didn't want you to play original music. So right. when we started branching out and trying to go into other states and other, do other gigs, and we were playing originals, we would make up fake uh, song lists because, you know, uh, everybody wanted to hear the hits at that time. And we didn't <laughs> like to play the hits. We liked to play songs from those records that we liked, but it was never the hit. We wanted to do the more obscure number, right. the ones that we really liked, and that hadn't been beaten in the ground by FM radio. <laughs> so we'd make up these fake set lists, and uh, then we'd show up at the gig, and, you know, we'd start playing some of the music that was on there. And then, of course, there was a lot that we didn't play that yeah. was on there. And a couple of times we got fired. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Because we didn't play the right music. I'll be darned. And so, but, you know, it didn't deter us because we realized that, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play original music. And we finally got to the point in this area where we were able to do like a full set of original music followed by a full set of covers. Sure. That okay. was kind of how the transition happened. And when that West 57 thing came along, we were, you know, we were still doing covers and originals. We honestly thought that was going to be our ticket. Like that show was going to come out and it was going to, it was going to help us get the exposure we needed. But looking back on that now, I, when I look at that show, I realized that it, it was more on 
a band than it was on us. Like it wasn't so much about Wrathchild as it was a struggling band and, you know, trying to make it. I see your point. Yeah. But you know, whatever. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. Sure. You know, and we got a lot of exposure out of it. And of course I'm still getting, you know, I still get that nightmare video shows up. Somebody posts, <laughs> Hey, look at this. <laughs> The long frosted hair. And, <laughs> yep, yep. That Shannon's and, mother did it. Yeah, Shannon's mom did, and yeah. everyone's like, all the bands that I have worked for since then. Everyone's like, "That's you." <laughs> and then they go on and they search a little bit more, and then they find a video of me singing. And they're like, "What? That's you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not only mixing you, but I did that at one time." Were you at that time when? So I think it was Terry and Shannon were the ground roots of Wrathchild. You were playing in different bands. Yeah, Wrathchild. Would you say, because I know that they really worked hard on getting you want to want, come to the band. Were you more established than they were at that time, would you say? In the area, maybe? No? I don't, well, I don't, I think we were about the same. About the same? Yeah, because I had Rat Zalad. Right. And they had Wrathchild, and we kind of played the same area, uh-huh. you know, same places. And, yeah, they they, they used to come and, and stand in front of me and throw business cards at me. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I read yeah. that. And then, of course, I went and joined Kicks. Yes. And then when that all went south, then I remembered, hey, uh, you know, this band Ratchild throwing business cards at me. I'm like, I think I'm going to call those guys and see if they still want me. Is that how and it And that's how it all, yeah, that's how it happened. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'd, I'd love to kind of even kick it back to your time in Kicks back in 83. I mean, how did that, how did that come to be? Like, who reached out? Like, who's... How did that whole transition happen? Uh, I'm trying to remember who actually reached out, but my band Rad Zalad ended up opening for Kicks, who were the shoes and then generators and yeah. became Kicks quite a few times around the area. And and then one day I got a call to meet those guys, you know, and they're like, Hey, you know, we might need you to come in. If, you know, this happens again, then, you know, you're the guy and you're in. And then nothing happened for a while, and then and then one day I got a phone call again, and then I was the, then it was me. I was there. I was in. Yeah. Started sitting down with Brian, learning all the songs, and starting to go to rehearsals. And I was like, man, I'm 20 years old, and here I am in Kicks, the band that I snuck into the Mountain View to see when I was 15. <laughs> exactly, it had to be a moment. And, that, and then wow. we op- then I opened for him, and then I'm in the band. It's that's really crazy when I think about yeah. that. Did you think like that was your ticket? To- oh yeah, I thought that was the ticket too. Yeah. I'm 20 years old, going to Miami, making a record. I'm on Atlantic Records. I'm like, yeah, this is a big time. Dang, and eight wow. months later, it was like, Terry, Shannon, you need somebody. <laughs> you, so, know what, you know how quick everything changes. Yeah. But in looking back on that, I would have done it all. Of Had course. I known then what I know now, I would. I'd have said yes. Then, of course. You know. And it was the big time, Brad. At that time, it yeah. was. It really was. Absolutely. I mean, for me, it was a learning experience, and I loved every minute of it. Right, right. Going into a recording studio when I was 20. Ugh. So what, what happened there? If you don't mind me asking, like with kicks, is it just one of those things that just kind of... No, it was, you know, it was, you know, Ronnie went away. Yep. Because he had an issue, and then he came back. Okay. And, 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 and that's was, happened. And it was his gig. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So, I didn't know it was his gig, but hey. I didn't ask either. So, I, yeah. I was just happy to be there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Your response there made me think of something, too. You were 20 years old, and you'd gotten into a real recording studio. 
that was another thing that was difficult for bands back in the time is be able to find a place to be able to put your music into something yes. that you could take out and give mm. to people. That was hard, wasn't it? It was, it was really hard. I mean, we had the opportunity a couple of times to do it. And then I remember one time we set up in, I think, a house that Jay was living in, in wow. Martinsburg. Okay. Set up all our gear, our PA, like everything. When we had our front of house guy just record our rehearsal and we recorded live I mean, uh, original tracks. Sure. And we didn't even go to a studio, and that ended up being one of our demos. Like, well, we don't have money to go to a studio, so let's try this. Yeah. They were expensive, and you couldn't find them. I <laughs> yeah. Mean, it would, not everybody had one like nowadays, you know, where people are building them in their house, as you mentioned. Right. Um, so it was difficult. That was one of the things. I found this today, and it's written in Brad Divens' handwriting, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. But this was something you had done for uh, Demolished Magazine back in the day, and it's what you were listening to. Uh, it asked you for your top five albums at that time. It was probably around the mid-'80s, but it was Aerosmith, all of them, Cheap Trick, Standing by the Edge, Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye, Thin Lizzy, all of them, and Sex Pistols. What a great mix that was. And it had a lot bearing on what you were doing with Wrathchild, too, I guess, right? You borrowing from those different <clears throat> yep. bands. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, I always liked, and I still do, classic rock because that's what I grew up on. Sure, yeah. Aerosmith, ACDC, Cheap Trick, Pink Floyd. Right. Zeppelin, all that. And then, you know, the the Sex Pistols and the Bad Brains thing was like the attitude. Yes, you know? that's what I was looking the at. The combination yeah. of rock, with the which had attitude as well. But then you had the punk edge was like, I don't give a, I don't, get, I don't care about anything kind of <laughs> right, attitude. Right, right, yeah. You know, and that's kind of what, and, you know, we were kind of like that. We were young and we were like, yes. nothing's going to stop us. This is what we're going to do and we're just going to go for it. You know, and it ended up being our style of writing was kind of a combination. Of course, right. then we ended up recording a Bad Brain song on the uh, on the Souls at Zero 66 EP. Did you? We recorded Eye Against Eye. Oh, okay. I, you know what? I didn't even pay attention to that. Yep. That makes sense now. I see that. I and we actually that. recorded a Circle Jerk song as well. Oh, wow. Yep, that Shannon sang. Yeah, isn't that, that's crazy. I remember that. that I got that CD forward. at home. Yeah. 66. I sure yep. do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we always liked the punk thing. Just the whole attitude of it all. And it black asked, flag, Henry Rollins. Oh, yeah, exactly. There's another yeah. black flag. They were here in Winchester not too long ago and sold the place out and blew the roof off of it. I Henry remember. Rollins, that's a name from the yeah. past. Wow, yeah, for sure. Wow. What was the, uh, I'm sorry, Brian. No, that's right, go ahead. What was the first song that you guys recorded as Rothschild? Do you remember? The first one we recorded, what well, had to be Dangerous. Okay. No, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm going to go back to. That's a cool song, by the way. <laughs> that might have been. See, we went in a studio. We went in a studio in Hagerstown and recorded "Roll the Dice," "Heartache Queen," "Metal Madness," and maybe "Dangerous" was on that one as well. Wow! Okay. That, that might have been that the first four. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, that might have been the first four. Wow! Wow! Yeah, was, I love that song "Dangerous." By yeah. the way, that was a cool song. <clears throat> yeah, I've listened to that recently. As a matter, as a matter of fact, that's a really good one. That must was that. I don't want to say weird, but it must have been like a different going from kicks to like a heavy metal band right with Rathchild. yeah I mean, but i mean Rathchild was still rock yeah you know true was it and at that time there was a lot of there was a lot of acdc influence and angel city and thin lizzy and cheap trick yeah it was all more rock based wow you know it it turned into the heavy metal thing as we went along and just kept writing and it just kind of it just morphed into that and i'm I'm always curious. I, I ask this every week because it's just a 
it's just a interest of mine. Like when you write your own music, how does that happen for you? Is it something that kind of comes to you all in one second? You jot it down and it is what it is. Is it something that kind of marinates over time? Yeah, you know, it, it, it depends. I mean, I don't write as much. I don't write much at all anymore, really. But I mean, there were times when we'd be on the road and I would keep a notebook and I would just start writing down lyrics that it might be just things that were happening during the day. Right. You know, for whatever, whatever it was. And I would put it into my own style of writing. And, and as far as riffs would go, I mean, I don't know that, that I ever wrote an entire song. It was more like, Hey, I got this idea. And then we would all four get together mm -hmm. and start bouncing it off of each other. And then yeah. it turned into a song. That's very awesome. Cool. It was very few times that's that one of us would go, Hey, I got this song and then play the whole thing in the entire, and this, that, that it ended up being what the song was. Right. Right. I'm still going to stick with, with the hardworking band that you guys were because, um, you know, I just know that's what it took for you to get where you got to. What was it like back in the day for you guys, you know, transporting your equipment, oh. um, you know, trucks that you had to drive, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember and then getting 24 to, foot rider truck. There you go. Did, you <laughs> and know, a van there. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you just pounded the road with it. And them, the right? crew right. drove the van and we had the, we had a, a, the crew drove the truck and we had the van. Is that right? <laughs> and, oh, there was, yeah. I mean, and we, like we played five nights a week and, we did that for five years Gosh. until we got signed. So, I mean, and you can imagine what kind of shit would happen yes. all around the country. Yeah. When you get fired from a club for not playing the music that you said you could play to going back into the hotel and everyone being angry and you ended up busting up the hotel. And then the <laughs> owner calls, this is a true story. Yeah, the owner sure. calls the cops and we got, actually, I take that back. Somebody went to the front desk, and the, the, the owner of the hotel was standing there with a gun and a dog. <laughs> wow. I think he was complaining about the noise. That's what happened. He, he came by the room and complained about the noise, and then everyone proceeded to trash the joint <laughs> while somebody is at the front desk. And then they come back, and they're like, we got to get out of here because he called the cops. So we pack everything up. And we drive away from the hotel and we pass the cops coming the other way. <laughs> and as we're driving back, this is after we got fired from a club. Right. As we're driving back to Hagerstown, the, the, uh, the rider truck dropped the, uh, drive shaft. Oh, gosh. And when it dropped it, it dropped it from the front. So when it hit, it just pretzeled up underneath the truck. Oh my gosh. And we didn't have any money because we just got fired, yeah. you know, so somehow we managed to get it fixed and get home. And I mean, that was like one of the many things that's that going to say, I mean, that was, <laughs> yeah, there was other times that, that, and I don't know how we never got arrested for this, but we would be driving in the middle of Texas somewhere or Arizona in the middle of the night with the rider truck and the van side by side shooting off fireworks at each other <laughs> driving down the free driving down the highway That's outstanding. <laughs> never got pulled over never wow. got never got arrested for any of that oh my and gosh. i mean there were times when when the van would break down like you know i remember we were going to this we were going to a club in new york and we were on the long island expressway and they had the grates with the and they were kind of sunk down in the road yeah yeah 
and we're driving around. I can't remember even who was driving, but they hit one of those and took out the tire. And, and on the Long Island Expressway, oh there's a lot of traffic. <laughs> yeah. And somehow we, you know, limped over to a garage and got the tire fixed and managed to get to the club and play. <laughs> like some of the things I think back on, like I don't know how we ever right didn't end up in jail or <laughs> or, or, or worse, you know, in bad accidents or whatever, because there was a lot of that kind of stuff happened right you know? right and and again you guys were were traveling the nation it wasn't just the east coast eastern no Seaboard. we you were guys going were all over yeah we were going all over the country were you doing that with, with did you have a booking agent i'm assuming you did. yeah we had an agent that set up shows for so, us. okay okay that that, yeah. I mean, that helps a lot but at the same time still but we would go into places that that nobody who knew who we were right right yeah and we would you know maybe we might play to 10 or 15 people and you're there for five nights, and you're just hoping by Friday and Saturday that the crowd starts getting a little right, better. Right. And most places it did. Sure. Some places it didn't, and we never went back. You know, it's just know. the way it was. But it didn't discourage us because we knew if we were going to do something, we couldn't just stay in this area. Right. We had to go. We had to get fans because when a label comes to see you, they want to know that you have a fan base. Sure. So when you get signed, you're going to hopefully sell some records. Wow. It had to have moments, Brad, where you did you know play at a club that didn't pan out the way you wanted. What what were things that kept your encouraged you or kept your spirits up or or made you not stop trying? What do you remember what that was all about? I think it was we just never thought about giving up. Right, like it ne- the thought yeah. never occurred to us that we weren't going to get signed. Just. It just wasn't. Wow. A, and I think that's what kept us going because yeah. no matter what happened, it didn't stop us. It's not like we said, Oh, you know what? Maybe this ain't working so well. It's like, we kept going. We just kept doing it. And you know, Rathchild got signed. We did two records then we got dropped and we still kept going. Yeah. That's what you I know, mean. We got signed again. We did souls at zero, did three more records and then that all fell apart. But, no, quitting was never right. an option. Even when when it got to that point that I knew that Souls was done, I never thought, what am I going to do? Never th- I'm like, okay, well, what's next? Right. Oh, Back Alligators wants me to move to L.A., and I'm going to join the band with Shannon. Okay. You know, <laughs> talk to my girlfriend and said, hey, let's go to L.A. Okay. <laughs> What's in Baltimore? Nothing. Let's go. <laughs> That's fabulous. So. And we just I mean, went. What an, what an admirable way to, to be able to live. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. I mean, to sort of trust yourself. Yeah. You know? And, and that, I'm going to jump into that question I thought about earlier, Brad, where when, when you know, your, your project sort of went by the wayside and you had to look for the next thing to, to pay, the pay, you know, pay the rent, as you mentioned, you got into sound engineering and... You had even mentioned in something I read that you weren't even really confident about how much you knew about it, but you said, to hell with it. I'm going to learn it and do it. Tell me about that a little bit. Well, I was in L.A. and Back Alligators, we had recorded a record. And then we ended up going to Europe and uh, opening for Ugly Kid Joe on this snowboarding tour. Oh, wow. All in, I had just, I literally got to L.A. and I think three days later, I'm on a plane to Europe. And at some point, one of the guys in the band's like, "Oh, by the way, we don't have a record deal." I'm like, yeah. "Oh, so now I've moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. We don't have a record deal. 
I got X amount of money to, to live. I rented an apartment that cost twice as much as I was paying in Baltimore, and I don't even have enough money to pay the year's lease, so I don't know how that's going to work sure. out. Sure, yeah. And so we kept showcasing. Uh, I ended up uh, – my manager – had said to me, well, the manager, the two managers that lived in Los Angeles who managed Souls at Zero at the very end, I was still friends with them. And so one day the guy says to me, he's like, hey, have you ever thought about tour managing? I'm like, hmm, I guess I could probably do that. I mean, when we were on the road, we didn't have anybody. Right. I was kind of the guy who took care of everything. He's like, hey, there's this, there's this band that's looking for a tour manager for uh, Lollapalooza. And the band was called Agnes Gooch. I didn't know who Agnes Gooch was. I'm sure. like, oh, okay, well, Lollapalooza. I know that, what that is. I'll go meet the manager. And he's like, you know, so you'd be doing this, this, and this. And uh, and we need somebody to mix. Can you do that? I'm like, yeah, I can do that too. So that was it. Yeah. I said, yes, I can do that. I had done it back here, you know, local sound companies make extra money, you know, mix a few inputs at a, you know, whatever, you know, bluegrass thing or nothing on a major scale, sure, like, right. yeah. like a Lollapalooza. And, but I'm like, you know, I just said, when I think about that, I'm like, if I had never said yes at that moment, I would not be doing this. Right. Because that was the moment right there. That was my, that was the, the uh, decision that was put in front of me. And so I just, I figured it out. We, uh, the band had one show between LA and wherever Lollapalooza was starting. Wow. And the whole time I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to do, how am I going to pull <laughs> yeah, this off? Right. Yeah. I mean, the band that I, this band, Agnes Gooch, they knew of me from my band. So they knew I was a musician. So I think that gave me the in. Sure. Because they're like, oh, he's one of us. Nobody ever really asked what, you know can you mix or like, cause I was kind of just bullshitting along the way. So we had this club gig and I'm like, I'll figure it out at the club gig. How hard can it be? Well, the club gig got canceled. Oh no. So now we're pulling into Lollapalooza oh, wow. and I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I, what am I going to say to this, this guy at front of house? How am I going to go up and, and tell him that I don't know what I'm doing without, you know, I don't want to say that. Sure. Right. But how yeah. do I, how do I get that point across? And I just, you know, walked up to him and I'm like, Hey, my, I'm Brad Divins and I'm tour manager for Agnes Gooch. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a front of house engineer, but I know how to get around. You know, if you can just show me some things, I think I'll be okay. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure. And he started showing me things and, and that was it. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> so this is off to a good start. Wow. You know, but had I, had I walked up there and acted like I knew what I was doing, yeah, I would have failed miserably. <laughs> And that was, I didn't want to do that. And, and I'm, I'm guessing the show went great. I mean, as far as I remember, it went good yeah. because I'm sitting, you know, I, end, I still have a career as a mixer. So, <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, you know, it, it was probably enough to get to be good. Sure. But, but I had other friends out there that I knew from, you know, because when Gators was in L.A., we showcased around some of those clubs. So I got to know some of the people that ended up being on Lollapalooza. And they're go. like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to mix Agnes Gooch. <laughs> and he's standing down there listening. And he's like, 
that sounds pretty good. I'm like, okay, so I'm in, I'm I'm doing a good thing here. Yeah. I'm in the ballpark. Well, like you said, I mean, it was terrifying though. Yes, I can only imagine, and the trust that you put in yourself, as I mentioned. But I that but it, but I still hadn't made the decision that that's what I was going to do. I was only paying the rent. Yeah. When the when the yeah. manager told me told me how much he was going to pay me, I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like three times more than I ever made playing music. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I would I would do those kind of gigs and then we come back and we would showcase again because yeah. I thought, Oh, we're going to get signed again. Cause the band was too good. Right. But yeah. then, but then somewhere along the way, I'm like, you know, these gigs are coming really easy and it seems like everybody likes what I'm doing and it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's still creative. I'm not on stage, but I am responsible sure. still for, you know, the success of the show. Absolutely. I'm still performing with the band. Maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just kind of went with it. Wow. I never really said, okay, I'm doing this now and I'm not going to play. Yeah. I just kind of went that direction. Well, judging from the list of people that you fronted the house for, you did pick the right thing. You could, you know, who's who. We okay. read them. Yeah. Quite a few great names out there for sure. Yeah. And that's crazy when I think about how some of that happened. Man. Like, some of it was being at the right place at the right time. That's that's a key in life. I, I didn't want to mention them all, but I mean, you know, you had so much fun. I mean, you, Cindy Lauper for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, that had to be a lot of fun. It was, and uh, I got Cindy Lauper after I did Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park, yeah, there you go. Which was completely different than Lincoln Park. Oh yeah, but enjoyable nonetheless. Right. Yeah, yeah, because it's music, and that's what I like. So, speaking of that, how how did it all start for you? Were your were your parents musically inclined? I mean, how. How did that whole process get started? No, I was, I remember being at a, some form of, I don't know what you'd call it, a revival or some, some sort of function where there was a three piece act playing on this little stage. Right. Uh, excuse me. I don't remember if it was rock or bluegrass or what it was. I just remember the guy had a black guitar and it looked like a Les Paul. And I looked at my dad and I said, I want to do that. <laughs> right. And I, I was probably, I don't know, 10 or something like that. But that's how it all started. And then I got a, an acoustic guitar. And then I heard Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues. I heard that riff. And I was hooked. And then from there, it was, you know, I, I remember hearing ACDC and Aerosmith. And, yeah. and all the stuff that was on AM radio before sure. I could even play. Just all that and just being, it was such a, like I would lay in my bed at night and I would turn on, and I remember it was W-E-E-O, an AM station. I think it was 1100 was the station. Wow. And I would just hear this. I would hear Dream On by Aerosmith or, or Dreamweaver by Gary there Wright. There you go, yeah. And whatever Kiss song was popular. I would, and it would just take me to this place as I was laying in bed in the dark. Like it was like, it was magical. Yeah. Yeah. There was a mystery to it. And I just, I knew I was like, this is what I want to do. I yeah. had no idea how I was going to do it, but <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. I thought maybe hanging circus magazine posters on my wall and <laughs> yeah. playing air guitar to, yeah. to Aerosmith was the way, but <laughs> uh, whatever it did work for you. That's yeah. for sure. My goodness. Oh my gosh. That's how it kind of, I mean, that's how it started. Did you guitar did, lessons? Well, I was going to ask if you took lessons or you taught yourself. Or? No, I took guitar lessons. Okay. Yeah. Wow. wow. But somewhere along the way, I, I'm like, I don't want to play this stuff. I want to play 
I want to learn how to play this. Yeah. And then my dad found a guy in, in McConnellsburg who, who was a rock musician. And so he took me to him. And I think the first song he taught, taught me how to play was Sunshine of Your Love. Oh, wow. By Cream. That's a great song. And then, uh, what was the other one? I think it was a ZZ Top song. And it wasn't Tush or LaGrange. But I can't remember what it was. Balinese. Balinese, yeah, okay. Yep. By ZZ Top. Uh, you're originally from McConnellsburg, yeah. PA. Is that correct? That's what yep. I thought. I remember. Beautiful country up there, that's for sure. Um, and then later on, though, Brad, um, the, when you you know talked to the boys about being in a rest child, you actually switched instrument. You went from guitar mm-hmm. to playing bass. Yep. How was that culture shock? Was it difficult? Easy? How did I go? No, it was, it was uh, well, our bass player hurt his back a couple of times, so he couldn't play shows that were local shows in the area. So we would hire a bass player to play. And it just never, you know, they could do the majority of it, but there was always something that was, wasn't right. And I'm like, I could just play the bass. Yeah. You know, and then I think one night maybe I did. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Just give me the bass. I'll play the second set. <laughs> and and then it was, we ended up having to go, I think we went to Cincinnati. And we were actually, got, we were doing like a small tour. And we went to pick up the bass player. Right. And he's like, I can't go. My back's messed up. The doctor said I can't go. And this is the day that we're supposed to leave. We're actually leaving. And we're like, I'm thinking, screw it. I'll just play bass. You know, and that's what we did. Right. I, st- I went from playing guitar and singing to playing bass and singing. And, I mean, it, was, it wasn't that much different because I played everything on guitar already. You know, I think at that point, maybe I had put the guitar down and I started fronting the band a little bit, which wasn't really my thing either. Really? I wasn't David Lee Roth or Steven Tyler, even though I wanted to be. I mean, I enjoyed fronting. Yeah. But it was like, when I'm not singing, what am I supposed to be doing when everyone's playing leads or what? <laughs> like, I didn't know what, what to do. And then I'm like, you know what? I feel more comfortable playing an instrument. Gotcha. So when I strapped the bass on, I'm like, yeah, I feel, I feel way better. Okay, now I got you. Because I got to say, you always seemed very natural doing what you were doing. You know, being the lead singer, playing the bass, and sort of being the front person. Oh yeah, being the front yeah. person. I yeah, I, yeah. You, you I was fine. <laughs> I was fine being the ham and doing yeah, all that. I remember that. Yep. I. It was just I was way more comfortable with an instrument. Okay. And no, singing. I got you. I got yeah, you. the singing and playing thing came really natural. Being able to do both at the same time. Whether it was guitar or bass, I got you. But wow, wow! If you're, you know, you're you and I are similar in age. We're above fifty. We'll just put it that way. Um, what sort of advice would you, knowing what you know now, would you have said to yourself back, or anybody like you back in your early twenties when you know you're hitting? What What's one thing you would have said? Watch out for this, or make sure you do this, or anything like that. Uh. That's a tough one because when I look back, I realize that every decision that I made along the way led me to where I am now. That's a great way, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always things like, you know, pay attention and learn as much as you can about every part of the industry okay. because someday, you know, it could come into play. Yeah, like for you. Which it did. Yeah. But if I would have tried to do that then, I don't know that it would have worked out the same. But I think another thing that you have to do is you have to be true to yourself yeah. and do what it is that makes you happy as a musician right. and write the music that you enjoy playing, not what you think 
somebody, not what you think people want to hear because then you're not being true to yourself and it doesn't come from your heart. Right. Right. Gotcha. And that's something you can't really, I think the audience picks up on that. They know when it's, when it's real Yes, and it's true, they feel it. And I think that's what you guys did so well. You yeah. didn't come out trying to be anybody else than what No, and I mean, it actually didn't work out so well for us, but we wrote what we enjoyed playing. Yeah. And we never... No regrets. We, I, don't, yeah. we, I don't apologize for any of that. Exactly. That's what we wanted to write. We enjoyed playing it, and that's what we did. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, especially with Rothschild, like the four of you guys, you were so so musically talented. You know, it's just a nice group of four musicians. I mean... I, I honestly think, like, looking back, like, you guys never got the exposure that you deserved, yeah. especially for grinding and, and getting after it like you all did. I mean, was that was that frustrating to a degree, like, especially with the... It was. You it, know, like, the effort that you were putting into mm-hmm. getting out there. It was very frustrating because there's, <laughs> there's nothing more frustrating than to spend all your time writing a record and yeah. recording it and all the sacrifices that you make along the way only to hand it over to a record label and watch them just drop it on the, you know, kick it to the curb or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just they fumble it and they don't know what to do with it. They don't have the same passion as we had creating it. Right. And that's very frustrating. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, but then, I mean, another, you know, it was also frustrating to be, to have being on a tour, like with Testament or with Pantera and, you know, playing in front of those types of audiences and then when that was over, there was nothing after that, you know, either time with either record. It was kind of like, what's what, like, why, what's going on here? You know, we didn't really, we didn't realize that, you know, how important making the right decision and having the right people to support you are right in terms of management and label sure, and all that support, because all we're, all we want to do is play music. We didn't know anything about the business and, or we didn't have the contacts to say, oh, we just come off a tour of Pantera. What's next? Right. You know, what right. Can, you know, go to the booking agent and say, hey, what do you got for these guys now? Because they're, you know, up and coming. We didn't have that. You know, the work that you guys laid down and, and you know, we'll just talk about the Rathchild albums, you know, Climbing the Walls is still regarded by metal people of the late, you know, late 80s, early 90s is one of the best albums that never got the exposure. I mean, people love that album, Brad. They do. And I mean, people that, you know, like he brought his copy tonight. But <laughs> Yes, he did. But, but, you know, I know a thousand Ryans, you know, folks that have that album. And still, whenever you say anything about The Wrath Child, the first thing they say is that first album kicked ass. Yeah. It was a great album. <clears throat> And I told him, you know, I I had to sort of spruce up my knowledge about our conversation tonight. But on all the research that I did online and things I looked at on YouTube, it's all the same. It's great band. Wish they'd have made it. I listened to them, loved them. They got me through. They got me started in metal. I mean, you guys have, I still to this day think there's a large group of people out there that just really loved what you all did. And, and you know, they, they know Shannon from Godsmack now. Right. But they know yeah. Shannon also was in Rathchild America. Every yes, one they of them do. know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my point. You guys really laid down some great groundwork. It just didn't hit at the right time or for whatever reason. Yeah. Only you guys yeah. know that. But what it was, defi- was great. It was definitely a timing oh. thing, I think. I mean, take the first record, for example. 
we were slated to to have the record produced by Michael Wagner. Well, okay. the story's not important, but we ended up we ended up losing Michael Wagner to Skid Row. Oh wow! So you know what the Skid Row record right, yeah, did? Yeah, blew up. Yep. Not saying that we would have done that, but working with a producer of that caliber, that record climbing the walls would have sounded different. Okay. It would have definitely sounded different. And there might have been some of the songwriting might have been a little more focused. But, you know, then you can take it to, oh, there's another Wrathchild. Yeah, that's oh, you, yeah. Uh, Atlantic Records calling. You need to do something about this because this is your problem. And we're <laughs> thinking, wait a minute, you're Atlantic Records. Can't you just offer them some money? Or is that how it was presented to you guys, really? That's exactly what was said to us. Wow. We had done... I had done so much press for the for climbing the walls. Sure, it was supposed to come out at a certain time, and then, then we got threatened with the uh, with the lawsuit with an injunction on. I think it was We a UK. They were threatening, right? Yeah. And so it wouldn't have been released over there. And Atlantic's, I mean, Atlantic's statement to us was, "You need to handle this. This is your problem." like oh man okay so here's the first thing that's not so great about being signed to a major label is that you know yeah i didn't realize we're on our own and and you know and that went back and forth and back and forth and we labored over should we change the name sure and it always came back to so many we came back to us saying but so many people know us as wrath absolutely you know what can we change it to that's gonna relate and we never did come up with, I think we came up with like wrath and chaos or something that was kind of similar, but not really. And then in the end, we're like, we started going with, well, what about Wrathchild US? If we yeah. have to, you know, put something after it. And they're like, no. <laughs> like, it ended up being Wrathchild American. It was wow. like, and, and it held the record up for, I don't know how many months. It must have been like six or eight months. Yes. Meanwhile, all the press came out. And the record didn't. Oh wow! So, yeah, that you know that help. was a that didn't help at all. No. That was kind of that was kind of. I think that was the beginning of the end. I have no. That I, I nobody have no, really wanted to admit yeah. to, but it was like because we all thought, "Oh my, we're on Atlantic Records. This is going to be great. We're going to we're going to be famous, for lack of a better word. We're going to be superstars." No, it was anything but. It was almost worse wow. to be signed because it was so frustrating because we couldn't do anything about it. We had to do Wrathchild America to continue. Sure. That was the only thing we could do. I had no idea that that was dropped in your all's laps. I yeah. figured, you know, I think I'm like you. I would have thought record sex or something would have come through and said, yeah, okay, this you, is what we're going to do. And right. A plan. You know what? Know. We'll give these guys 20 grand or what? whatever, 25 sure. grand and make them go away or do do something. Sure. Give them a record deal in the UK and make them whatever. Oh my but gosh. Nothing. Wow. So what, like with the three souls at zeros al albums, when you transition to that, how did that, how did that kind of come? I guess I don't want to say to an end. That sounds so horrible, but like, yeah, well, was, was it kind of the same scenario as <clears throat> it was? It felt really good when we, got away from Wrathchild America and and became Souls at Zero because it felt like it was a fresh start. Okay. And the music, some of that music on that first record was written as Wrathchild. Okay. And a lot of people think, oh, you changed your name and you changed your style. It's like, no, we didn't. 
that's just where it progressed too. We realized that, you know what? Maybe it's a little too complicated yet. Yeah, we love playing it, but maybe we should simplify it just a little bit and see if we can pull in some more audience. So we did the first record. And of course the label's idea was we want to promote you as a, as a new band. And we're like, okay, well, that was a stupid idea because what about all the people that knew us as Wrath Right, yeah. Nobody knew. There's still people to this day that had no idea that Souls at Zero was Wrath America. Wow. So that wasn't a very smart idea. And, uh, you know, it was a smaller label. It was indie label. You know, we did a couple of tours, and then we ended up, ended up, the label was... We thought the label was going to, it was a brand new label. So we thought it was going to do something. It had a lot of money behind it. A lot of our friends worked there right. and it had a lot of promise. And for whatever reason, the people that were making the decisions, even though our friends were in place, people that the money people weren't doing the right thing. And right. So it didn't really work out as well as everyone thought. And then we ended up doing the EP and then at some point, I think after we did the EP was when Shannon got the call to go do Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah. And of course it was like, Hey, I mean, it doesn't look like we're going anywhere. I was devastated because I'd been with Shannon since he sure. was 14. Yeah. I remember getting a kid up on stage with me when I was in Rad Salad. But at the same time, I realized, you know what? That's a great opportunity. I don't care for Ugly Kid Joe, but who knows where it could lead. Sure. And I believe at the same time that right after he said yes to Ugly Kid Joe, he had got offered to do, I think it was White Zombie. Oh, wow. So he got yeah. offered. But Shannon being a man of his word, he's like, I've already committed. So this is what I'm going to do. And then we got Jamie Miller in to play drums. And it was kind of going down at the point where we were creating Taste for the Perverse. Okay. I could sense that it felt good to have Jamie in the band. It was, you know, some fresh blood and it became exciting again. And, you know, the songs we were coming up with were pretty cool. But at the same time, I, I kind of got the idea that, that, you know, not everybody had the same passion. Right. You know, and then we started not getting along with Jay very well. And that, you know, we ended up parting ways with Jay yeah. at some point during that tour. And I think that was after the record came out and, and it was just all kind of falling apart. Right. You know, it was, and nobody, I didn't want to, I didn't want to admit that it was going down. I'm like, well, man, how can I save this thing? And so <clears throat> I got the bright, I'll continue the story a little bit further. I got the bright idea. Hey, because at that point, the last Souls record, I think we wanted to be off energy records at that time. We're like, okay, we need to, <laughs> We need to think about what we're doing. We need to write some new material and try to get signed to another label. Right. So it was me, and that was me, Terry, and Jamie at that point. There was only three of us. And so we wrote a few songs, and then I had this bright idea. Hey, my friend Jeff Key is booking a club in St. Croix. We can go down there with acoustic guitars, play Jimmy Buffett and whatever, whatever else songs five nights a week and right. get paid. And the other time we can be writing songs sure. so that when we come yeah. back, we can go into the studio and re record some music because none of us had jobs. That was the only way I could think that we could all get paid and write and, accompl and try to accomplish something. 
Well, I think it was a week in, a week into that trip that Jamie got the call to go join Snot. Oh yeah, which was a band in L.A. Sure. So he took off. That left Terry and I, and we pretty much just dove into whatever bottle was sat in front of us <laughs> for the next six weeks. Yeah. And played acoustic songs. And then uh, at some point, Shannon and Mike Combs started calling me and saying, hey, why don't you come to L.A. and join Back Alligators? And so you did. And that's kind of how that all transpired. Wow. Wow. It all kind of just led into something else. But you know what? Not, it, I never, ever once thought that it was the end that I'm going to have to get a real job. Right. Right. I'm like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll do something and it'll always work out. I'm convinced that the world will always find the really yeah. talented people like you. And Brad. there's so times, there's times when I, you know, I thought, man, maybe it's not going to work out. Right. But then, you know, something would happen and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. And there you go. And then you're now you're off into a whole nother career that takes you in a completely opposite direction than you ever planned on being in. Wow. And it's ever been as rewarding and satisfying. Right, I was going to say, yeah, right. Even more so. Wow. I think. You there there has been talk over the years um the past few years especially that you guys might get back together and play a little bit. That's sort of on the back burner is it kind of like, you know, maybe I don't know whether you have anything to elaborate on that or not. Yeah, I mean, we did get together in 2017, and then again in 20, I think it was a year or two later, you know, just to get together and play and see if it all came back. And, and it, it did. did. Yeah, it all came it, back. Yeah. Of course, Shannon was better than all of us because <laughs> he plays, and I remember standing there playing and, excuse me, uh, came to this one part of a song, and I'm like, the hell did we play there? What? <laughs> and we're all looking at each other, and Shannon's just, he's just going all through it. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. What did we play there? We're all sitting there trying to figure it out. But it was a blast. And we, you know, we're like, okay, it's going to be all four of us if we're going to do this. It's got to be the right venue. Right. And then, of course, I started getting phone calls about Hammerjacks. Like, oh, yeah, oh, right yeah. about the same time, yeah. You know, and Greg Shiley was calling me, too. Oh, when, wow. You know, when he was still alive, he would call me periodically, and, I'm, you know, I knew that would be a great place to play as well. Sure, yeah. But the timing wasn't right. As much as I wanted to say, yeah, we would love to, we just, you know. And, and then, you know, some things have happened now since that, you know, I don't know that it's going to happen. Right. You know, I mean, we'll see. We're, nobody's saying that it's not because we all we, we, the only thing I can say is that it has to be all four of us that's right and if it can't be all four four of us then we're not going to do it I admire you for that because yeah. the four of us were Rathchild and that's you know as much as I would love to get back up on stage one more time we have a beautiful 1500 seat arena right in this town that would just be fabulous for Rathchild yeah. to come back with, you know what I'm saying I was going to say yep. But I have to be able to look over and see Terry and Jay. Yes, I understand. And Shannon yep, yep, behind yep, yep. me. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I can't do you. it because yep. it's not. Then it's it's not be it's not right. Right. It's not yeah. being true to Rathjob. I agree. I agree. God, I hope that happens. Yeah, they're right. That'd be fun to think <laughs> you about. You never know. That would be insane. Cool. Yeah. It would be so. It would be so cool. Yes, it would. It would. Yep. I know I was devastated when when Shannon left the band too. I can't imagine, like you said, how how yeah, you felt. I'm pretty um, sure I was in tears. <clears throat> I, I, I bet it was. Yeah. I was really. You guys are brothers. Yeah, you were. 
And I mean, he's he's just ungodly and, and skinny as a rail. I just I don't know how he does it. I mean, it's just it's insane. He's his, a monster. He is a his monster. His talent level is yep. just off he the is charts. A monster. Yeah, it really is. And I never, I mean, I always knew how great he was, but I I was always looking this way, and he's behind me. Yes. And I went to see Godsmack one time, and I'm just watching him. I'm like, that's what everybody was looking at. Yeah. yeah. Now it, I understand. I, He's amazing. I tell the story all the time, even on the show, Brad. Half his hair blonde, half of it black. Yep. And the drum set, same way, white, black, white, black. <laughs> it was just a cool concept. And then you guys were great. <coughs> the music was great, and he was fun to watch. And it was a, it was a great yeah. show. Oh, he was a maniac. Oh, it was he could a... pretty much just think about what he wanted to play and go through it in his head, and it just it would just come out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we were talking before you got here, like <clears throat> him on the drum set just swirling his hair yeah. Around and just the the energy and just the bombastic yes. style that he yeah. had. just the way just, he attacks the yes. symbols and the drums Punished and the it. way he plays. Yep. Yeah, it's, playing them like they stole something from yeah. him is what I always no, say. I, I've never I've seen people try to copy him, but yeah. I've never seen anybody play like him because Mm-mm. because he's not he's not copying anybody. That's him. Yeah, and that's fluid and it's just flowing. But you know, I've his been watching. Sticks are an extension of his. Of his arms. Mm-hmm. I've been checking out Fixing to Get Mixing, and somebody else can play the shit out of a guitar, too. I'm <laughs> telling you, this man over here has still got his chops, Brad. I'm telling you, you sound great. And oh, thank Jimmy's you. a great drummer, and yeah. that's got to be a lot of fun to be doing, right? It's a lot of fun, yeah. I can imagine. Yep. And uh, I enjoyed listening. I listened to a bunch of them. I don't know that I've gotten them all, but I've listened to a bunch of them. Of course, you know, it's just fun to watch you guys because they're pros. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're true pros. <clears throat> yeah, I was curious. What... Outside of doing the front of house right now, what sort of music is exciting to you? Are there bands out there right now that you're, you know, digging? And you, you know, you had such a wide array back in the day. I'm sure you still do. Are there bands out there you listen to and go, man, what the heck? That's awesome. Uh, there are, and I got, I really got exposed to some new music when I when I worked with Disturbed this year. Oh wow, last, yeah, last year because I was exposed because, you know, for the last you know, 10 years I've been doing Enrique and, and I'm kind of still listening to cheap trick and Aerosmith and ACDC and, you know, Pink Floyd and all that, but doing disturbed exposed me to more music in that genre. And I'm like, Holy man, this, this is some really cool stuff. You know, I got turned on to some music and I can't remember who the bands were, but I just remember thinking, oh, maybe it was Motionless and White and Wage War and I can't recall some of the other bands, but just being like, wow. Like some of it's not really my thing. Right. But I can appreciate the the, the talent and the intensity and just the you know, the balls outness of the right. of what they're doing. I'm like, man, there's some really good stuff out here. I truly enjoy Disturbed, you know, a lot. I, I love Dave's voice and it's just you know, it's a fantastic band. That's kept me interested, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on newer stuff. Man, very their, cool. Their Land of Confusion cover is amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the Phil Collins version, but, I mean, their spin on it is incredible. Yeah, they're a great band to mix. <clears throat> they, yeah, I can imagine. I've been really fortunate and have got, you know, to mix some really good yes, bands. You <laughs> yes, you have. And it's always been fun. Do, do you often, do, do the people that you work with figure out who you are? Before you start working with them, is that you know what I mean? Like, do they walk in and go, "I know that guy. He used to play," to do you, you, or do you just well, kind of go, eh, "I'm Brad Divens"? No, you know? <laughs> I never. 
I never, I never do that. <laughs> well, no, just like you, unassuming. Like you don't let them know that you have a big background. No, no. I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like the first couple acts that I worked for, like that band Agnes Gooch, like I probably mentioned to them that I was playing in Bag Alley Gators. Right. Because we were, at that time, we were showcasing. And then that led me to, you know, what other bands have you been in? And then, and then of course, they had heard of some of the other bands. And then I went on to work with uh, <clears throat> this band, Kilgore. Yeah. Who had actually played a show with Souls at Zero. I think it was with Souls at Zero in Harrisburg somewhere. So when I went to do that, mix those guys, they were like, oh, yeah, you played with, we played a show with you. So that gave me an in there. Okay. And then I went and did Monster Magnet. And Phil, the guitar player, had been in a band called Blitzbeer that was on Epic Records when Wrathchild was on Atlantic. And we had mutual friends. So when I came in to do that gig, he knew of me from Wrathchild. Right. Right. Small wow. world, right? <clears throat> yeah. Connections, man. Yeah. That's what it's all about, networking. Yeah. And then I'm... But, like, Lincoln Park, no. I think they ended up finding out who I was, and then all of a sudden there's a there's a poster of me hanging in the dressing room <laughs> one day. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I, I always... When I would, you know, be trying to get a gig with a, with a band, it was always, oh, who have you worked for? Sure, okay. It was never, what band were you in, because I was... You know, mixing. Right. But then as the more time that I spent with the artist and the more the closer we would get, then, you know, over beers or whatever, things would come out and all of a sudden they realize or somebody would say somebody would find out, you know, then the YouTube video would pop up or whatever. You know, the Disturbed guys knew me from my other bands. Did they? Okay. Yeah. I know this is kind of like apples and oranges, so you know, forgive me for the question in a way, but. In the day when you were working so hard to get your band signed and, and your albums recorded and the grind that you said, you know, five nights a week, all year long. Nowadays, folks are have the ability to put things out on the Internet. They get signed. You know, I know we've had people on the show that send their music off to Nashville or wherever. They'll mix it, send it back, and they do the finishing ready in their home. They don't really have to do anything. That's all great, and it's wonderful that we have these ways of doing things but do you think in a way brad or have you seen evidence where that school of hard knocks made better bands especially for road warriors you know better I mean? musicians better musicians the mm -hmm. whole bit yeah do you see that yes i i agree with that 100 percent. because the more to. the harder you worked at something the better you became right you know and <clears throat> the more the more fans you got exposed to, you don't get, ex I mean, yeah, you might be famous on TikTok for whatever, 15 seconds, but a record company still wants to know that you have an audience. You right. still have to play in front of an audience because people want to go and see music. Yeah. And nobody's selling records anymore. Right. So it's very important. You to have get to be there. able to play. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the, the, uh, the ease of being able to do it yourself in your bedroom or whatever, whatever it is has, uh, I think, I mean, the talent is still there, but I, a lot of times I think the, the feeling and the, the passion gets lost in this has to be perfect. Yeah. And I, ha I can do this. So I must. Right. Instead of being four guys in a room 
throwing a track down that may or may not be perfect, but man, does it feel great when you listen back to it and you're like, that's it. That's right. art. And I think as listeners, people settle for less too. You know what? Maybe well, I, maybe I'm I sound like an old timer. Well, it depends but, because you know me being having come up in the '70s and being exposed to all different types of music, right? And all great musicians. That's I, I don't settle. No, you maybe you. Don't, I can't but, settle, right? Because it, to, I've tried listening to new music. Like, that's the end thing. I'm like, okay, what is it about this that people like? And I listen to it. I'm like, I can't get into this. Right. You know, either it's it's too perfect or it's just there's no feeling to it. You know? I, don't, I like when the singer's not perfectly in tune. Yeah. Or perfectly in pitch or there's a guitar solo that maybe there's a note that's a little off, but... But the feel was there. Or how many ACDC records was Angus out of tune on? Sure. How many songs? A lot. Did you care? No. <laughs> no. Nobody cared. Yeah. You, I bet half the people never even noticed that. Right. You're Didn't 100% matter. right. I mean, that's how yeah. I feel. And it's hard, to, it's hard to explain that to someone who's 25 years old or younger. They, they don't understand what we're saying. We're not trying to be old codgers. It's just different. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's that's what different. it is. It's and, different. And you can't. The world has changed. Electronics has changed. Where you know, computerized stuff, you know, won't come back. I don't think. But no. it's, it's, well, and the, it's I don't think the mystery will ever come back either. I agree. That's something that I, when I was a kid, I didn't have anything but a magazine. Yes. Or an AM radio. Yes. And I saw an article of ACDC, and I'm like, wow, that looks pretty cool. And then I went to the record store and I saw the cover of Let There Be Rock, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy that. <laughs> Or it was the eight track, I think. Yes. And then I went out and stuck it in my car, and I'm like, it, it, "I was like, what is this?" Yes, and you it know? was yes, and it was the entire album. And but but I discovered that on my own. Yeah. And even when I listened to that, I didn't know what he was saying. I didn't know what they looked like. You know, it, it was all my own imagination. Right. You know, the same with whatever Led Zeppelin record, and you sit down and try to figure out what Robert Plant's singing. You know, yes. and you just, but you get taken away into the music and it, I don't know. There's a mystique and a mystery that's gone. I agree. I agree. And that was part of the excitement of discovering music and actually playing it. There's, I think there's a mm-hmm. couple of things I talk about all the time and, and Ryan, you and I have been to this, but I, that one of them is what you just said, Brad, the fact that you, you could, you had limited ways of learning about your, your music. And so it was cream magazine. It was circus. It was, you know, Hit Rolling parader. Stone, Hit Hit parader. Parader, whatever. Yep. And, and I remember distinctly looking at the pic- I'd cut pictures out, stick them on my wall, articles out, stick them on my wall. They'd stay there. And that was the only source of of knowledge I had. And then when you bought the album, you could open it up and look at it and read all the stuff. And you got lucky. It might have a sleeve that had the lyrics on it. And that was even more fun because then you knew what he was saying mm-hmm. instead yeah. of guessing at it. But the one thing I bring up more than anything else, Brad, is this. When we were younger and going to see bands like yours... When you walked in the club or walked into wherever they were playing at, you did not have to search for who was in the band. The band looked like the band. They had the look. They had right. the clothes. Yep. They had the attitude. And, you know, nowadays, for what, and it's fine. I get all this. I, I'm not stepping on toes. But nowadays, the guys that get up on stage are dressed just like me. They got a ball cap on and, you know, a long sleeve T-shirt and some jeans and shoes. And that's mm-hmm. what they look like. 
it was different and it was fun when you guys, you know, I remember the excitement you guys would roll out on stage and the smoke machines would be going and, mm-hmm. and it would, you know, and the lights would come down and it'd be, Oh my God, it was the greatest. And, and I do think that we've lost some of that for sure. Yeah. Don't mean to lament, but that's yeah. what I, I think. Yeah. About. Yeah. You wanted to put on a show and you did. Mm-hmm. Yep. You guys did. And it was a hell of a show. It was a hell of a show, man. You took us on some great rides. I always remember thinking to myself when I would go on stage, I'm like, there's no way I can stand still. Yes. <laughs> I can't do it. As much as it would maybe hurt afterwards or I'd break a you know, fracture an ankle or whatever. Right. Like I just can't stand still. Have you have you ever come across the idea of, of sharing all the stories and knowledge? Have you ever thought about putting together a book, a memoir, anything like that? Mm, I mean I have, but then I my memory is not that good, and I don't even know where I would begin. I'm sure that it would all come back to me as I went along. Right. You know? The reason why I ask that question is I, I get this often with this show is people today like to network, um, and especially the young ones. They're hungry for knowledge, and so they look to people like you or people that have done it longer. You know, how do I get in touch with that person? How can I learn from them? How can I ask them questions? You have Facebook, Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that is a way, an avenue for people to reach out to you. But yeah, I have Facebook, I have Instagram, I've so they can reach out to you. That's ways fixing to, to get mixing website. There you go. Yeah, fixing to get mixing at gmail dot com is yeah. the email address. And you would share knowledge and stories. Yeah. I'm sure, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always happy to talk about. I mean, I I still get excited when people want to talk about what i do yes you know because to me it's like that's just what i did to me it doesn't seem like a big deal like when i talk in front of people about how to mix and i think none of this really seems like it's that difficult or that it's that you know that it's that difficult to figure out right but people like hearing about it right you know or they like learning about it so i talk about it and same with the past it's like it's great, you know. It's great to talk about. Wow, that's outstanding. And sure. anything, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I'm still here, and that I'm able to talk. Yes, about, we're, you know? we're glad that you're still here for sure. So the fact that you know people want to learn, yeah. or want to hear what I have to say, I'm more than happy to share the knowledge and, and pass it on. Because I guarantee Pay I'm it forward. Get tons of emails mm-hmm. about the show. I guarantee you, I will. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our listeners get into like the types of instruments that you play, the brands, um, I yeah. mean, they really get into that. Like your bass, like what type of bass did you play that with Wrathchild? Did you carry it through with Souls at Zero? Yeah, that was that was Hamer. Okay. Yeah, Hamer's, yeah. yeah. Hamer bass, Firebird 4 was the model. I bought my first one from a friend of mine. That was another thing. When I started playing bass from guitar, because I always liked Les Paul's, mm-hmm. that was my guitar. Sure. That's what I liked. And when I went to look at basses, I'm like, I don't like any of these styles. Like, and then I would play them. I'm like, I don't like this. The headstock was, that was one thing with Shannon and I went to look at basses. We're like, we can't have any pointy headstock. Right, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the rules. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know how I discovered the Hamer uh, Thunderbird body, but a friend of mine was selling it for 400 bucks. It was brand new. He wow. bought it at a guitar show and I bought it from him, put some EMG pickups in it. And, I'm, and I plugged it in back into my rig, and it was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the sound. This is the bass. And then I got a hold of Hamer, and they built me two more, put my name on the headstock, and then I just recently found a fourth one. So really? I picked that up. But those were the basses that I used. Nice. Yeah. 
Fantastic. All through Wrathchild and Souls at Zero. Nice. And that, they were making custom, making them, them yeah, for Yeah, they you. were making them for me because they had stopped making the, the Thunderbird. And, uh, or Firebird, whatever they called it. But I just liked, I liked the way it looked and the way it sounded. That white hammer bass that I use on a lot of the videos yeah. is the one that I recorded almost everything with, was that bass. Wow. When people say, well, how did you get that sound? I'm like, it's that bass with a pick, mm-hmm. and it's the way I play. It's not, there's no right. trickery going on. And you said that bass is still in your stable. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very cool. Oh, yeah. If that bass could talk. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the question is, do you still have that original guitar that your dad got you yes i do do you really the acoustic guitar yeah, i do fabulous. which i recorded that johnny cash song that's on my youtube channel wow I need it's to look that, that acoustic that's awesome i know what i'm looking at tomorrow <laughs> i recorded yeah. Folsom prison blues it was one of the song one of the first songs Dang i did on. during the pandemic i did wish you were here my version of wish you were here by floyd and and uh Folsom prison blues wow yep and i i'm like i have to record it with this guitar right and I still have it as a What venture. a great story. That's awesome. I can yeah. look at that now with a cool story. Yes. Yep. Oh, my. So how, how, and I know you mentioned like your website, you're fixing to get mixed. And how, how else can people get in touch with you? Is it through Facebook only? Do you have other avenues? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook. There's Brad Divins and Fixing to Get Mixing on Facebook. There's Brad Divins and Fixing to Get Mixing on Instagram. There's Fixing to Get Mixing.com website. And I have a YouTube channel under Fixing to Get Mixing as yeah, well. Yeah, I've been watching. So awesome. it's you could find they can me. find you. Yeah, yeah, they can definitely like find I did. Me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it might take me a minute to reply, but I will. I'm I'm bad with that. I'm guilty. Oh man, I'll tell you. I, I hope folks out there you know, get the, the chance like Ryan I've had tonight to be able to meet somebody they looked up to musically for so many years. It's been quite a thrill. Oh, oh this has you. been great. I love it. What yeah. What did we miss, Brad? What What is What is something that you know that <clears throat> you would want to get out there or talk about anything that we missed? Hmm. I don't know. We talked about a lot of we did. almost everything. We did. I'm, I'm just so impressed. I'm yeah, very impressed I, by your demeanor and everything you do. It's so cool. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Guys, yeah. It, folks out there that can't see Brad, he's as badass as he was uh. back in Ratchet. I'm telling you, he just owns the room when he he's walks in. He's just older. That's all. Just, just a little hair. older. That's all right. A little right. less hair and, yeah. and a little more gray. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but hey. <laughs> Still fill the room up. Just like I'll still throw do. down. I'll strap that bass on and I'll sing my ass off. Don't think I won't. Yeah, I've, I've seen you recently, and it's great. It is fabulous. Like I said, guys, the, the chops are still there, not only playing, but vocals. Its vocals are incredible. Yeah, that's. I surprise myself when I go in, wow. when I go in the studios to sing something. Because, I, I mean, I warm up a little bit, but not much. I'll just turn the mic on. I'll get, you know, make sure everything sounds good, and I'll just start singing. And it all just... It's working. It all comes back. I know what I wanted to ask you. It just came in my mind. The, the thrill had to be big at at the Meriwether Post, the last oh show God. for kicks. The th- yeah. Uh, that that had to be pretty amazing. And you, know, Steve, I, I don't know Steve at all, but I felt like Steve handled that so well by recognizing everybody that was important and a part of that band. Of course, obviously, you're already on the stage. You've been playing a couple of songs with him. Tell me about that moment. What was that like? You know, because I was in the wings waiting to go out to play. Uh, For Shame was the first one, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was just, I was nervous. And I'm standing there and I'm just, 
I got really emotional because I started thinking, whatever, it was, what, 40? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 40 years. 40 years ago. Well, 40 plus. 41 years ago for me, I was in that band when I was 20 because I'm 61 now. There you go. And I just remember thinking, that was, how long ago was that? And now here I am about to walk on stage with them again. And, and, and the songs that we were playing, because I did For Shame and, and, uh, yeah, 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 thank and Mighty Mouth. Mighty, that's right, Mighty Mouth, yeah. Was songs that I recorded on the record. So I was, I was over there thinking about when we were in Florida and, how, you know, like it, it was just a kind of a surreal moment for sure, me. Sure, sure. And the fact that they had asked me, hey, would you be a part of this? I mean, it's only in the band for eight months out of a, what was our career, 40-some years. Eight months, that's a very small time. But for them to ask me to be yeah. a part of it was really big for me. Absolutely. You know, and the fact that we all reconnected during the pandemic, you know, with, with recording with Jimmy and then Brian came up to record stuff with, with Frank's band, The Arrival. Right. And then I ended up doing Steve's record and we just, just all reconnected. I think, you know, and I, I want to continue with what you're saying, but I think one of the things I find connected between your band, Rathchild, and Kicks was you guys both bands were very real, and and I think that's what made Kicks last so long. I think that's why you guys had such a good following yeah. around here. Was you just who you? Were, they were always been what they were, just a rock and roll band, right? And they come out and did their show. And of course, Steve's such a great front man. I, I honestly think he's one of the best ever. You know, put him up against anybody. Uh, but again, I was just taken. I was taken aback by how well he took the time. To recognize us, including you, like yeah. you said, eight months. But he he wanted you there, and you needed to be there. And I thought that was just a great moment. Yeah. I really did. It was a it was it was a great moment. It, it was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, just to, and to be back up on stage again in front of that many people. I sure. Don't, I don't know that I'd ever played in front of a crowd that big in wow. all my career. Wow. So I mean that was big too. And then once I got out there, I'm like, oh, this is. <laughs> so much fun. What, yes. I, what am I? What am I doing tomorrow? <laughs> what am I going to do next? <laughs> it made me really think about. I think I might want to start playing again. But of course, I got a. I got tours that I'm doing now, mixing for people, yeah, and yeah. and you know who knows. Maybe Jimmy and I will get together and do something. You know, you never know. I mean, he's always going to come over, and we're going to record stuff, and you know. And I need to ask his health is doing okay. Oh after, yeah, after I saw him today. Good. Yep. Good. Good. I, I know he had a big scare tally ho and. Yeah, we're actually okay. we're, we actually just recorded a song. <clears throat> well, actually, we recorded the bass and drums three years ago. I finally found a guitar player that is going to play the part. Nice. So we got another song that it'll take me six months or whatever to to get done with it. But that's awesome. And then there'll be more songs that we're going to record, and we're working on a uh, Bob's son Nicholas Perry actually has a project that Jimmy and I are involved with. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. we're going to be working on that with him as well, and. So Jimmy and I are doing a lot of stuff together. Bob was such a great fill-in for Ronnie. Oh, uh, great. Know, great. And a great guitar player, for sure. Yep. I see him with Mark, you know, doing the Rush gig, too. And that's, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen them. They're great. So very cool. Do you guys see an album coming out of that with some of the stuff that you're messing you, around with? You never with know now? because, I mean, it, it turned out pretty good. It I think. did. You know, I have a lot of people say, "How can? why can't I get this on whatever, Spotify or whatever? I'm like, well, it's not any original music. I just have to go through the dealing with the publishing and yeah. you know whatever to to put it out. But who knows? You never know. I mean, it's pretty much done. 
I go back and listen to it. Maybe I remix it a little bit or get it mastered or whatever. But well, because it was all done for fun. I think that's why it turned out so good. Because mm-hmm. we never, there's no preconceived notion of oh, let's do something with this. It was like, hey, what song do you want to record? Oh, I want to do if you want blood. Okay, <laughs> you know. And then we did the Montrose song. That was Jimmy's idea to do Rock yes, Nation. Yes, I love that. Yep. Which I love that record, but that wasn't a song that I thought that would that I would do. You know, because yeah, I always thought it would be Bad Motor Scooter but, or Rock or candy, candy or whatever. Yeah. But then I listened to it. and I'm like, man, I got to sing like Sammy Hagar. How am I going to pull this off? Because it's not really my thing. But, right. But it, it, it turned sounds, out to be a lot of fun. And then I'm playing guitar on it. <laughs> it sounds great. And then wow. the Devil Woman song. That was my idea to, to do Devil Woman. Very cool. Oh, awesome. It, it's fun. It is, I can see yeah, it in your fun. face that you're really enjoying that. That's great. Yeah. We just record. Mean Street is the song that. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yep. Wow. And another friend of mine's son, uh, Nathan Rinaldi, is playing guitar on it. I saw that. Yes. I did yeah. see that today when I was going through some Yeah, so stuff. I had That's to I cool. threw up a little clip. It's all rough and everything. And I haven't sang it yet or anything, but it's wow. turning out really cool. And that's another thing. It's really fun to work with young people. That's good to hear. Because they need you. They do. It's just, it's enjoyable to me because, you know, I. I mean, I had, a, you know, I had my guitar teacher when I was really young that, you know, taught me some things. Right. But I don't know that I really had any, you know, older musicians around me when I was young to help me out. Right. And it's, you know, it's it's enjoyable. I mentioned that too, and and, and again, I don't want to keep dragging up about the past, but I, I bring that up often. We see so many people that come on our show, musicians bands they network so great like you know they're if they can't get a gig they're helping another band fill in for them or whatever it may be or can't do a gig it didn't seem like that back in the day brad it seemed more vicious i think am i wrong about that because no, I, it was a it was it was very competitive it was right yes. it, it's different now it was competitive in a healthy way though yeah I, because we I, were yeah. all friends but we were going to be the baddest band that right. was playing yeah. at the old mill this week Yes, you yes. Know? Don't spend your time going to see such and such. Exactly. Um, it was yeah. a healthy competition, and it made everybody it made everybody really focus on their craft right. and, and be think, really good players right? because of the competition. And it, as you mentioned, it, it didn't provide you a lot of older folks to sort of help guide you or teach you or anything like that, whereas I think the younger ones now have that avenue mm-hmm. more so than ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because you can go on YouTube and find videos for yes. whatever, and you can learn that way. Yeah, yeah. There's that sort of tutoring. Instead of moving the needle back and this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. What did he say? Yes, yes. Slow it down. I don't know. Just sing it like it sounds. Who cares what he said? <laughs> Watermelon. Five years later, anyway. you go, oh, my God, I was singing that wrong. <laughs> but you know what? Who cares? That's didn't right. Even, I didn't care what half of Steven Tyler's Steven Tyler's lyrics never made that much sense. Exactly. <laughs> but they sounded good when he sang them. Yep. So. yep. And so did you, Brad. So did you, <laughs> for sure. Well, th- again, Brad, I-, I just can't thank you enough. It's been such a joy to have you here. Um, you know, we wish everything going forward for you is is awesome and upwards and fun. And, and you know, hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yeah, And if there's anything sure. in the, along the way that we can ever help you do. And, of course, you know, we're going to have lots of people email us and figure out how to get a hold of you and your that's music. Fine. So that's going to be great. And we'll plan on doing that too. But yeah. I just can't, can't say thank you enough for being here tonight. Thank you so uh, much. Like I said, it's my pleasure. Yes, I'm sir, happy yeah. to do it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Sure. It's been much. a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Glad it did. Folks, 
We're glad you took time to be in the, in the cafe with us once again, and it's a brand new year. It's episode 79, if you believe it. My gosh, 79 weeks we've been doing this. So that's pretty exciting. We appreciate everybody coming in every week and helping support us. Make sure you get out and see a band, as we have mentioned. I've got that answer to that trivia question, Please, Ryan, if you're yes. ready for that. Yeah, we, the, the trivia question again, everybody, was what is Flea's real name? Flea, everybody you know, is a bassist uh, for Red Hot Chili Peppers, amongst many others. But it's Michael Peter Balzeri. Mm. Oh, That's his last name. I think I knew the last name. Yeah, Balzeri. I've heard uh, that before. B-A-L-Z-A-R-Y. Michael Peter Balzeri, but uh, that's a mouthful, so I, I can I'd see how Flea would work. Yeah. Said that he got the nickname because he could never sit still when he was young. That's what they told him. <laughs> and so he was like a flea mouse. Huh. You know? So kind of an interesting story. Anyway, once again, folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, don't forget, we got a brand new year, but the laws have not changed. You cannot drive in the left lane if you're not passing somebody. If you do that, you're pissing me off. Stop doing it. You did it in Ocean City this weekend, <laughs> sir, and I'm mad at you about that. But until we meet again, peace.